Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I've decided to start doing a special thing with my email list, and that is once a month, I will be sending out a special code just to them that will be active for one week from the time that it is sent out, and it'll be on a specific item. So I'm sending out the first email the day that this goes live, um, which is January 18th, and you'll be getting it once every four weeks. And I will not send you spam because I don't have time to make spam. Um, but the first item that is going to have um, a pretty significant code on it is the hug dress, which is one of my most popular winter styles. It's this really beautiful draped corded velvet dress. So if you would like to get on that list, there are two main ways that you can get there and I'll give you a third just as a backup. So the first way is that if you go into the show notes, there will be a link to sign up for those emails. Click that link add yourself to the list. You'll also get sent a little packet with secrets your tailor won't tell you as like a way to just me saying hi, basically. And if you sign up before Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern, then you will get that email. Second way that you can do that is you can go to impactfashionnyc.com. There will be a pop-up that'll ask you to put your email in, stick your email in there. And same thing, as long as that's before Monday at 9 p.m., you will get that email. Third way, just as a backup, if any of this is confusing you, then you can send me an email to rifki at impactfashionnyc.com with your first name and your email address. Well, obviously I'll have your email address, but either way, um, I'll add you to that list and I will be checking my emails um, pretty consistently throughout the day today and also um, after as well. So whenever you're listening to this, you that's also another way that you can say, hi, I just want to get on that list and then We'll take it from there. The first one, like I said, is going out Monday at 9 p.m. on January 18th. If you're listening to this afterwards, you can always sign up. This is going to be a continuous thing. So I hope that you'll join us there. There'll be some other fun things going on in email as well, um, including some behind the scenes of the podcast episodes. So it's it'll be a really fun place. And I hope to see you there and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Atzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a Jewish women's educator about why she wishes we were all a bit more curious about our relationships. She shares what real peace looks like, the conversations we should have about conversations, and how we cultivate the most important relationship of all with ourselves. I really like Chevy Sabbath. She's warm and deep and insightful and funny and all of the things you want a good friend to be. She's the kind of person who doesn't shy away from difficult topics and is passionate about nuance. Her world is never black and white. To start off, can you tell me what you were like as a little kid? <gasps> oh, just jump right in. Just jump I right in. Be like, hello, would you like to introduce yourself? No, no, just no. go straight to the inner child. Okay, wow, what was I like as a little kid? That's a heavy question. Like, it's not as light as you're making it seem. As a kid, I was um, very mature, and I know people can't see this, but I'm putting it in quotations because I was the kind of kid who was really precocious, really verbal, um, you know, adults loved, I loved being around adults because I got such like, you know, like 
a lot of positive attention from my vocabulary, right? Um, but I was also totally a kid. You know what I'm saying? So I think I, I feel like I'm very passionate about this topic. And when people talk about kids being mature, I'm always like, wait, 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 wait. Are they actually mature or are you projecting your desire for them to reach be like to be more mature than their age onto them? Like I'm very sensitive about this because like I was like that also. Um, but I was very insecure. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really high strung. <laughs> um, really you know, I had a lot of self-doubt. I was constantly kind of questioning my appropriateness, okayness. Like I was always very aware of my surroundings, which is an amazing attribute um, as an educator um, and just as a people person in general to sort of like enter a situation, read the room, um, try, you know, really be able to pick up on other people's expectations or what you can possibly add. But as a kid, I did that like in a, in a really like hyper extended kind of a way. Like I was very aware. Um, what else? I'm a middle child and I was, I'm like a classic middle child, like in so many ways. I was a huge bookworm. I read absolutely like everything. Like if it was in front of me or even if it wasn't in front of me, if you hit it from me and there were words in it, like I found it, I devoured it. Um, I was, was and am a very curious person. Um, I, yeah, is that enough? <laughs> I'm, that's, that's plenty. There's, there's so much there, but also you see, I, I jump right into that question and I always like to start mm -hmm. with it because I have this theory and it's one of the many theories that I think doing this podcast now for over a year has proven. And that is okay. that we are all much more alike than we think we are. And you would have no idea. I want to say that like unscientifically, like kind of anecdotally, probably about like 70 to 80% of my guests will say that they are that like as kids or even currently that they were like very insecure and just yeah. like, self-doubt. We all deal with this. This is all something that, this is something that, that we're all. You know, yeah. I think navigate. it's part of how we discover who we are, you know? So uh, like a healthy sense of that, right. And like in a healthy environment, um, it's kind of the op, like the the other side of curiosity. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's sort of like, oh, I wonder if like this is okay. I am okay. Um, and I say this a lot in my teaching. You can take the same question and you can ask it in a judgmental, berating kind of tone, or you can ask it in a really like curious and respectful tone, right? So really, kids are supposed to explore their world and navigate their lives with, who, who am I, who am I? You know, what am I in this situation? Am I okay in this situation? Is this good? Look, like, you know, look for the feedback, take that information, synthesize it, move on to the next, whatever. Um, but for a whole host of reasons, a lot of us are like, oh, am I okay? Is this good? Am I good enough? Am I, right? So it's kind of the same question, but with like, uh, you know, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, stellar tone. <laughs> I, I definitely hear that. Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? When I was younger, I younger, er, <laughs> still young. Um, I wanted to be a teacher, a lawyer, and a chef. All at this, all at once. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, duh, duh, obviously. <laughs> um, and I kind of joke that now I sort of am all of these things. Like if you've ever walked into my home when my children are, you know, like I am very much a litigator, right? I, I am constantly in negotiation with multiple humans um, and I'm a teacher 
professionally and just I think we are all educators maybe we'll touch on that like this is my firm belief every single human if you are interacting with other humans you are an educator in some capacity um and yeah about being a chef <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of stomachs to feed um but I enjoy it I really enjoy it so and I also don't feel like I've always sort of had this perspective like you don't have to be the same thing for your entire life like even when I was, you know, considering what I wanted to be and I'm like, okay, fine. Like I want, yeah, I want to be a teacher, but I'm like, but maybe for my second career, I would na 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 na. And maybe later in life, I'm going to pivot and do that. I don't know why I've always felt this so strongly. Like you don't have to be the same thing forever. Maybe it's like speaks to my, my like evolutionary core <laughs> that people are constantly that. changing. Um, and I grew up in a family, both my parents are doctors. So, you know, like medicine isn't really something that you usually pivot from. Um, that's a huge investment. And that actually was one of the things that turned me away from law, among other things. But like, that's a lot of time and a lot of money and a huge investment if I'm not 100% sure I want to do that forever. Right. So I don't want to like lock myself in. Right. So for someone who might not know, can you uh, tell everyone what kind of teacher you are, what you teach? Um, so I like to say that I am a Jewish women's educator. And what that means is that if there is a topic um, that, you know, speaks to you as a Jewish woman, um, and there are a few kind of core topics, that's, that's what I love to educate on. Those are I, like subjects that I'm extremely passionate about specifically in the area of relationships. So that means your relationship with yourself, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, and even more specifically, marriage. Um, so I am what's called a Kala teacher, which is a bridal educator. Um, and that basically means that I'm doing a few things. First of all, I'm teaching young women about the relevance Jewish laws that pertain to marriage, specifically what we call Taharat Mishpacha, family purity, or the laws of Nida, um, the laws of like sexual se separation. That's not an accurate definition of Nida, but whatever. <laughs> we'll that's we'll, the best one. We'll translate that way for now. Um, and yeah, so there's, def there's the law piece of it, you know, the Jewish law piece of it, and then there's, you know, the relationship piece of it. So really, you know, preparedness for marriage and all that that entails. Definitely some sexual education. When I say some, I mean a ton. Um, and, you know, <laughs> emotional readiness, all of, you know, those, those skills. But things that they don't really teach enough of in school. Um, so that's a big bulk of what I do. I also teach um, married women, you know, review classes on this topic. Um, single women who are marriage minded or not relationship minded. So yeah, relationships, relationships, relationships. <laughs> that's kind of your forte. And um, I think I, I actually want to touch on something that you just mentioned in passing and you tried to translate Nida and you yeah. roughly translated as this state of sexual separation and then immediately said, that's actually not what it is. Um, for someone who might not know the laws of Tahara Samashpacha are these yeah. family purity laws that um, dictate how an Orthodox couple will conduct their sex life basically. Yeah. And the period in which they are not permitted to be together is referred to as mm -hmm. Nida. Yeah. What, you you tried to translate it as separation and then we're very quick to say that's not what it is what right. do you what is it how would you okay. if you want me to know you know <laughs> one or two things about it what what would you want me to take from that term 
Okay, so you know what that reminds me of? You know, like when a genie comes to you and says, you have one wish and you're like, okay, my wish is 10 more wishes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, what's one or two things? I'm like, no. I, I give I, you I, all the wishes. Go. Oh, yay. Oh, I love it. Okay, but I am going to try and keep it concise just because of the format. Um, so essentially, Nida is one type of what we refer to as Tuma. Okay, Tuma is translated in English as impurity, impure. Um, but pure and impure is one of those words that like, it doesn't help me. <laughs> like, I don't now. I, okay, so now translate pure for me, impure. So um, you can't really talk about purity and impurity without talking about accessibility. Okay, so essentially, if you, I had like very limited time to explain to you what Tuma is, I would, I would explain it or I would translate it as limited accessibility, limited physical accessibility to what? To connection. Imagine you have, you know, between your house and your workplace, you have four routes that you can possibly take. Okay. You can drive this way. You can drive that way. You could drive. Now there's always the fastest route. There's always the most direct route, the super highway, right? That in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of obstacles, I can get from home to work. Right. And that's the one that we sort of like gravitate towards. Um, but what if one day, right, you get an alert on your way to work, there is construction and you're going to have to take a detour, right? So for the next three weeks, 12 days, this route, <laughs> and for people who are listening, we didn't get that, 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 like, this is a very specific that. construction schedule. <laughs> very specific construction schedule. Needs are often last on average about 12 days out of the month. Um, so we're putting this temporary obstacle under construction, whatever it might be, right? So you can do one of two things. You can say, oh, my favorite way to get from home to work is under construction. I'm gonna stay home, right? Um, I, I would love to know how your boss reacts to that, okay? This is why some of us work for ourselves. <laughs> so we don't have to contend with stuff like that. Um, or you can say, oh, well, time for me to find another route. So to kind of bring that, you know, metaphor back into Tama, Tama is essentially saying, we are now hindering temporarily one avenue of connection to sometimes it's your, your, you know, the intimacy in your marriage, the connection in your marriage. Sometimes it's your intimate relationship with Hashem. Those are the two places with God. Those are the two places where you will see the ramifications of impurity, either in the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, or in the bias, the home, okay, the, the Jewish marriage. And those two are definitely linked and we could do another three hours just on that connection. Um, so Nida, I would translate, and I got these words from Rebison Pesci Neuberger, if you know her, you're lucky. Um, and she translates Nida as temporary physical inaccessibility. Okay, so it's temporary, that's important to know 100% that this state of impurity is not something that you exist in forever, you transition in and out of it. Um, that, it's, that it's physical slash sexual, so that means that it does not inhibit your emotional or intellectual or spiritual capacity to connect. What is something that, yes. you know, this, this topic is very, it's loaded, right? There's so yeah. much, there's so much that goes into it also because it is by its nature very emotionally charged. It can be something that's really hard to connect to. Is yeah. there something that you found that, you know, either like a, a concept or just a, a tool that you, that you find with your students that it makes it something easier to tap into? So here's the thing. 
and I don't know if there's a thing that I can say that will make this like easier for people. Um, I think that part of the challenge around something like this, around Nida, for example, is that sexuality is not something that's openly discussed um, in our community and certainly not with younger children. So you're, it's really hard to understand something out of context. And for a lot of women, that context never, they sort of never catch up with that context. It's like, we're not talking about this. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about this. Boom, we're talking about this. But what I'm telling you is how, you know, not, oh, all of a sudden you get married and sexuality is, you know, permissible to you without any barriers. But now I'm telling you, oh, you're going to do this. And also here are some like restrictions around it. So it's really hard to talk about something completely out of context. So one of the first things that I do, I don't even say the word Nida until probably like the third time that I'm meeting with a student, right? Um, and I do, I do bridal classes one-on-one. -on -one. Some people do it in a, group, in a group. It's pretty common for them to be done one-on-one. -on -one. And I feel really strongly like we need to have a foundation before we even, before we even go there. Um, and one of the things that I like to share is the distinction between preservation and restriction, okay? They can seem really similar when you're on the receiving end. So the example, the analogy that I love to give, full of analogies, is um, preserving lemons, okay? <laughs> um, hat tip to Danielle Renault for teaching me how to preserve lemons. <laughs> but when I was preserving lemons for the first time, this analogy like came to me and I'm like, wow, it's actually a really good analogy. So what do you do when you preserve lemons, right? You cut the lemon into quarters, you salt it, and you pack them really tightly into this jar and you want them to release their own juices, right? You want to continue to pack and pack and pack and pack and pack down. There can't be any air left in it because then, you know, the, the lemons themselves will spoil. You need like, you know, really, 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 restricting environments in order for these lemons to preserve properly okay if you're the lemon at the bottom <laughs> never the first lemon that got put in to this jar right and you are constantly being like there's another lemon coming there's another oh, i can't believe you're still smushing lemons on top of me you're like what is wrong with you i can't breathe in here right like this is way too restrictive but then the lemon preserver comes to you and says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not restricting you. I'm preserving you. I know it doesn't feel good necessarily right now in this moment, right? But my intention is not to like make you feel stifled, right? And you're like, I missed the oxygen. That's actually going to cause me to rot, right? Um, it, it is preservative. Now, we're not lemons. We're human beings. We're a lot more complex. Um, and you know, and we have more emotions than a lemon, right? But I think the, the, the distinction still stands. Yes. Yeah. If you are able to perceive Jewish law or whatever value system is, is structuring your daily life as preservative versus restrictive, it kind of shifts everything. Now here's the kicker though. Just because something is preservative doesn't mean it won't feel restrictive. Right. Ugh. I know. <laughs> like that's it's where things me. get less fun. <laughs> that's where things get less fun. And that's also where we have autonomy and ownership. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's where we have a choice in how we're going to personally navigate this. So, like, cause we always do have a choice, right? right? So as much as it's frustrating, like, well, if you could just make everything that's good for me, feel good for me, it would be a lot easier to live my life. Right. And it's like, yeah, I know it would be easier, but also you'd miss out on a lot of really significant <laughs> things. Right. Right. It's, it's not, it becomes not so simple in that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, a lot of what you do, you mentioned that you, you speak about relationships and a lot of what you do is not only just like, you know, sometimes the nitty gritty of the laws that pertain to relationships, but also the emotional side of it, which is arguably much, much more important. If, yeah. If you had to, if you, if I gave you the genie is back again, this time you really only get one wish and you get to fix one relationship problem. What would you fix? My own. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) I didn't mean one relationship. I mean, one problem that you see a lot of people have, if you could get rid of it. Wow. Which one would you choose? Oh gosh. I don't like this game. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because a, a relationship challenge is not an, something that's objectively challenging. It is really subjective to any relationship, right? So what's challenging for me might not be challenging for you. What's challenging in this dynamic and a different dynamic wouldn't be challenging. So, so that's, my, that's my like caveat to even answering this question. Um, but I really, really kind of going back to what I said before about kids, I really wish that everyone, myself included, would be able to approach their relationships with more curiosity, with less fear of conflict. Um, I think that would be so enriching. Not only would it make relationships maybe more enjoyable and peaceful, <laughs> but it would also, and I want to get back to what I mean by peaceful in just a second, um, but it would, they would just be so much more enhanced and enriched. There's so much opportunity for discovery when you're willing to be curious versus you're stuck in your own narrative or you're making assumptions about what the other person's intentions are, right? Like, because we do this all the time. We go running, we go running, right? Like, oh, um, you know, did you deposit the check that I gave you in the bank? And it's like, I forgot. Well, if you really loved me (laughs) and if you really cared about me and if you really respect me, if you even listen to me, right, then like you would, that would never, like, what if you say, oh, did you deposit the check in the bank that I asked you to do? And it's like, oh no, I forgot. And I said, oh, that's like, hmm, you don't usually forget stuff like that. Like what happened? What was your day like? And then it's like, well, actually, right? Like I had this huge distraction, this huge stress. And, so, and it's like, oh, I want to hear that. I want to listen to that. I want to, I want to be here for that, right? And then it's like, thank you for doing that for me. And what could have been like a, a, like, you know, a bicker or a squabble, and not even that. It could have just been nothing. It could have been like, oh, okay. That's disappointing, right? Right. There was an opportunity there. And I think that we overlook those opportunities a lot a lot because we're like, because here's getting back to what I wanted to say, because we misunderstand what peace means, what a peaceful relationship is, right? We imagine a peaceful relationship as one where the sea, the seas are always calm. No stormy seas, right? No, no rocking the boat in a peaceful relationship, right? The thing is that we don't get to control the seas, (laughs) right? We only get to control the boat. Right. And very often, 
the conflicts that come up in our relationship are opportunities for deeper understanding of ourselves, of the other person, of the relationship, right? Um, of our own dynamic. Um, there are opportunities for connection and for intimacy. But we are often so scared. We see like these waves coming and where everybody like jump overboard. <laughs> everybody are just like, you know, try and keep everything steady, right? Um, and we assume that that is what peaceful means. Okay. Now in Hebrew, the word that we use for, for peace is shalom, right? Shalom is the same root word as shalem, which is complete. Okay. Um, you cannot have completion of two things that are identical. You cannot have unity when the two things that you're trying to unite are the same. Okay. If I have two, if I have two bottles of milk, okay, right. half, half empty bottle, half full, half empty, but I just revealed what type of person I am. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> if I have two bottles of milk, right, that, all, don't, that aren't full, and I want to combine them to save space in my fridge, did I just create unity between my milk bottles? Not really. You just no. have more milk in No, I place. just have more of the same thing. I have more of the same thing. But a lot of times we look at completion. We look at shlemos, right? We look at, you know, this concept of shalem as exactly that. Just two things that are the same. But like, but look how, look how nicely the milk complements each other. You don't even know where one milk starts and the other milk, right? Like they're all, look, they, they blended so easily together. Of course they blended so easily together. They're the exact same thing. There was no blending required, right? But if I have, you know, some chocolate syrup left over in a bottle and I have a half a bottle of milk and I'm like, hmm, you know what would be super cool if I took this and I added it into this and then I shook the whole thing up and created chaos, but then I'm left with chocolate milk, which is infinitely more delicious than milk. And I will fight people on this. Okay? It, it is. I was so, actually <laughs> hoping that this analogy would end in chocolate milk. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I am here to please Risky. I, am, I would never disappoint you in that way. Um, that's, that's unity. Okay. Not right. only have you created, and that's, per, that's, and we also, by the way, use this word in Hebrew, shlemos, to connote perfection, right? Completion slash perfection, right? Not only have I now beautifully combined these two elements of milk and of chocolate, right? I've actually created something entirely new that didn't exist before. We now have chocolate milk, which is not just the combination of chocolate and milk. It is in its own right something amazing, <laughs> right? This is very true. And this is what I wish people knew about relationships. <laughs> in, what, in, in what way? That... In the way that conflict isn't scary. Imagine the milk. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to beat this analogy. To, let's okay? do it. Imagine we're going to beat milk. this analogy into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the milk is in its bottle. It's safe. It's happy. It, it doesn't want to be more than milk because, you know, it, it, it's nutritious. It's full of calcium. People like it. Yeah. And, you will, and the milk sees that, oh my gosh, somebody's opening the bottle and, and something's coming at me. This like dark brown syrupy thing, right? Like, ah, that's terrifying. I don't, I don't want to welcome this with open arms. Imagine you have a chocolate syrup. You're cozy in your own bottle, right? Like everything's fine. You're happy where you are, right? And then somebody takes you and turns you up to, upside down and starts squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And you're like, hey, where am I going? I'm tumbling down this, like, you know, the bottleneck of and where am I going, right? And imagine each of them had, well, they're not them, they're it, <laughs> had Whatever. the capacity 
to say, to resist that, right? Now they can't because they're, they're things that we manipulate, right? But as people, we resist that all the time. How are you going to cause me to change now and shift and turn into something else? I'm very happy being exactly who I am. Why are you coming and shaking everything up? Why are you imposing something onto me, right? Right. And in a committed relationship, having the safety and the security to navigate that turbulence and instead of saying like, oh my God, you stay in your bottle, I'll stay in my bottle. No, 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 right? What if you said to each other like, we welcome each other. We welcome these differences, right? Let's see what happens. Let's get together and shake this whole thing up, right? And right. you can discover something amazing, not just about the other person and not just about your relationship, but about your own self, right? Relationships are self-revelatory in that way. They're not only about what we give to the other person, they're how we expand in the process of navigating this relationship. I'm going down a separate road, but, but yes, that's what I wish people knew. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's also very, that's, you're right. You learn more about yourself when you learn how you are in relation to other people and how that works in, in your relationships, whether it be your marriage or your friendships or your relationship with yourself, whatever that is. Yeah. This, I really like this notion of a peaceful relationship as one that's like, you know, two different things coming together. I really that, that yeah. speaks to me not only because chocolate milk is delicious. Um, Sometimes I use the analogy of chemical compounds, but I figured you are more of a chocolate kind of girl. I am. I am. So I stayed away from hydrogen and oxygen. You're welcome. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I Yes, choc chocolate milk is where it's at for me. I mean, look, well, as an educator, you have to know your student. You have to true. know who you're talking to. <laughs> it's true. Like you said, you always knew how to read the room. <laughs> how, there you go. how can someone go about getting a more peaceful relationship as as we've just defined it what are, what how does that happen oh goodness can I get back to you when I figure that out by all means <laughs> but in the event that you don't let me get back to you when I figure that out and I have to answer right now can I add a second thing about relationships that would be helpful for people to know by all means so I think that it's really important for two people to have similar, if not the same definitions of peace. This kind of speaks to a greater conversation around expectations. I'm a big fan of what I call conversations about conversations, <laughs> pre-conversations, if you will. Okay. And what I mean by that, and I encourage all of my newlywed couples or anybody who's trying to navigate, you know, relationships to do this. Very often we wait until the actual time of conflict to have a conversation. We see that as the opportunity. But there's a lot that we can do to set the stage for healthy conflict resolution, you can call it that, or just any kind of like navigating of a dynamic. So I really encourage people in committed meaningful relationships to not, you know, not exclusive to marriage, to have conversations about the type of conversations they want to have. And this really serves to create, it creates a lot of safety and security in the relationship. Because imagine before you ever had any kinds of a conflict, right? Or before you experienced your next conflict, you had a conversation about what do you, what do you want conflicts to look? What, how, how do you see them? 
Do you see them as opportunities? Do you not see them as opportunities? And um, Dr. John Gottman has a great book called Eight Dates, which is basically eight conversations for couples to have. And this idea of a conversation before a conversation is definitely like, you know, inspired by that. Um, what kind of, you know, what kind of communication do you want to have in your relationship? And sometimes even having a conversation like that where you lay everything out in the open now makes it possible for you to, to, to navigate those, those more difficult conversations because what tends to happen is we get really like closed, right? We get really intimidated. We get really overwhelmed. We get really, there's so many things. I mean, like there's so many things that we want to say and there's so many things that we have the perfect words for. I mean, if you take showers, you have, perfectly scripted conversations in your mind. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I'm shocked. <laughs> right. I, but all, you know yes. what I'm saying? Like we, and, it's, and sometimes we get stuck in that narration, right? Um, because, for, well, first of all, sometimes like, you know, our narration is incorrect, like I said before, right? We just sort of like run down this rabbit hole of what behaviors mean. Um, but also sometimes in that moment of like, okay, something came up. I really, I want to be vulnerable. I want to share. I want to deepen my intimacy with, you know, this person, but I'm like completely frozen. I'm frozen. And a lot of times we're frozen because we don't fully trust that the other person has the capacity to, to hold whatever we're about to give them. Okay. Sometimes it has to do with our dynamic with them. Sometimes it has to do with us, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid, right? Right. But if you had a pre-conversation, right, and you were either reassured or it was demonstrated to you that like the other person has the same expectation of this relationship and the same understanding of what this relationship could be, right? Then you're right. like, okay. I mean, it's not, it's not foolproof. It's still hard, right? Um, but there's at least like a common ground there. When do you, th when should that pre-conversation, that conversation about the conversation should, sh when should that happen? I mean, as soon as possible. <laughs> um, I also don't think, I also don't think that it's a one-time conversation. I think it's something that constantly needs upgrades because, and tweaking and, you know, like, oh, how are we going to apply it to our relationship now? Right. right. Um, I think that to a certain extent, we have these conversations at the beginning of a relationship. And it's also a little bit naive to assume that, oh, well, we had a conversation 12 years ago about how, you know, open you are going to be um, when it comes to, you know, conflict. So I, I feel like you're, you're you're reneging on this contract of 12 years ago. Like, it doesn't work like that. Right. Right. So we do constantly need to sort of like be tweaking um, but I think this comes up a lot, especially um, around, you know, difficult topics that are constantly like shifting. I'll give you another example. Money, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of couples really struggle to navigate conversations around money. And one of the reasons for that is, aside from the fact that money is a huge stressor and, you know, all the other reasons is because often when people are talking about money, they're not actually talking about money. <laughs> they're talking about values. They're talking about lifestyle. They're talking about things that are much more than just dollars and cents, right? Right. So if a couple sat down and said, look, talking about money is really hard for us, right? What are, without bringing up any specifics, without actually talking about money, what do we want our financial conversations to look like moving forward, right? What's the, like, let's sort of craft a model of what that's going to look like, right? Um, 
it can potentially, I'm not, no, no money back guarantees here, but it can potentially create um, the safety necessary to have a hard interaction about finances that isn't actually about finances. Right. right. It sounds, it sounds like you're kind of laying the ground rules. Mm-hmm. Like these, these are the things that I will, it sounds like a lot of like very basic contracts that I have with people that no. not that are like low level kind of interactions. I send them an email that says, I will be giving you, and then a list, you will be giving me a list. And it sounds like you're kind of laying that out beforehand and saying like, this is what I'm going to need. This is what I'm going to give you. This is what I'm going to need from you. And it creates like, and then everyone's playing the same game. Yeah. And here's why, by the way, every relationship has a contract. Spoken or unspoken. Every relationship has a contract. What I mean by that is that every person in a relationship has certain expectations of that relationship, either what they're going to get, what they're going to give. And yes, this is an oversimplification, but if you, you know, kind of pick a relationship in your mind, any relationship, and ask yourself like, okay, like, well, what are my expectations around this, this relationship? How do I benefit from this relationship? What would I like to see, right? There's an un spoken contract in pretty much every meaningful relationship. So all we're really doing now is we're like putting a spotlight on it and we're saying instead of letting this be a passive thing that just evolves over time and we get to a place and we're like, hey, I'm not really quite sure how I got here, right? We're actually saying, look, this is where the contract stands now. Do we want to tweak it? Right? right? Do we want to do like, does anybody want to add any footnotes or make any changes? Right? Um, and it's not a contract in the sense that like, it can never be changed. And this is it forever. And, but it's a contract in the sense of this is how this is how we interact. These are the rules we're playing by whether we realize it or not. Right. This is, you know, every relationship has its own dynamic and it's by taking the time to discuss your own dynamic, Mm -hmm. you have a lot more control over it and what, what it is that that you're hoping to, to get out of it. Yeah. You also, you have an even playing field. You're now empowered. You want, you know what you're talking about, right? Some, we throw around words, marriage, intimacy, connection, right? Like when I say that, what do I mean? What are my expectations of that? Right? Like right. I, I married you, you married me. And when we did that, did we have the same thing in mind? <laughs> Seems like such a basic question, but a lot of people, a lot of couples don't necessarily go through that process. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah, I guess you don't, cause I guess, I don't know. Everyone just kind of thinks they know what marriage is supposed to be. What do you mean? We like, yeah. we live happily ever after, make a family, sure. someone, sure. you know, like we and just do our usually, thing. It's usually some version of marriage is either exactly what I saw growing up or marriage is the opposite of what I saw growing up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, what if those are the two choices. Those, for a lot of, I mean, that's kind of the assumption, but for a lot of, what if it's like, oh yeah, marriage is what I saw growing up marriages what I saw growing up and we didn't see the same thing Mm. so now what do you do (laughs) yeah that's that's where things get interesting Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. where you need to kind of modulate I guess you could say a little bit you mentioned expectations in relationships Mm -hmm. very very much in passing and I want to go back to that what are are expectations a good thing it sounds like you know if knowing it, it seems to me like knowing what I want 
is mm -hmm. something that can, and being able to communicate that effectively, that seems like it would be a good thing. Yeah, I think sometimes we, we, we talk about expectations like they're bad, unrealistic expectations, you know, right. like it's this, like this thing that, you know, holds you back or, um, you know, is a hindrance in your relationship. Expectations just are, they are, and it, they just, they exist. <laughs> they can be positive, they can be negative, they can be expansive, they can hold you back, right? Um, and I think it's kind of the same thing, like, are we shedding light on them? Are we actually communicating around them? Are we sharing our expectations with another person? And that goes to, you know, speaks to something else also. Um, once we've identified what our expectations are slash what our needs are in a relationship, are we able to share that with another person and communicate and create space for them to meet that need, right? To fulfill our expectation without being like, that's not that way. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, I, I don't think expect I think, I think expectations are a reality. Yeah. They just, they just kind of are. Yeah. I want to, I want to pivot slightly for a, for just a minute because we've, you know, we we're speaking a lot about relationships and specifically in marriage and all of that. Um, what is something that you think that someone who is not currently in a relationship can be doing to prepare themselves to get to a relationship in a better spot or even someone who is currently in a relationship and feels like they are not approaching it with the right mindset what how do you how do you prep for these kinds of deep long-term committed relationships wow <laughs> my life's work Rifki. right right here <laughs> <laughs> um i think the first thing to acknowledge is that everybody is in a relationship with their own self you are in a relationship with your own self. And you, the relationship that you have with yourself is based on a lot of things, your primary relationships and attachments for one, right? Different experiences, um, how much you invest in that, how much you value that, right? Um, so this notion, I actually don't, don't like when people say like, are you in a relationship? Because everyone's in a relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that the journey to wholeness is an independent one, just as much as it's a, you know, one that you navigate in tandem with another person. And I think that, you know, in Judaism specifically, there's a cultural implication that wholeness is only achievable in the context of a marital relationship. And I really want to point out the nuance there, okay? Um, every person is an independent, whole person, complete in and of themselves, okay? Um, and that, you know, the worthiness of that wholeness is indisputable. Then, if a person in their wholeness, right, connects deeply to another person in their wholeness, their capacity to be whole has expanded exponentially, right? Um, but it's not like until they were that thing, they were worthless. As much as you and I both prefer chocolate milk over milk, right? Right. That's our personal preference. Uh, milk in and of itself is rich, 
You know what I mean? Like, and if milk is walking around going like, oh, I, I need, you know, I, I'm not going to be whole until like they're like, you know, in, until I need chocolate. Right. Like, well, not only am I sad, obviously for milk to be feeling that way about themselves, like, but do you know how many times, do you know, in so many ways you're better on your own. Imagine if you were chocolate milk and we tried to add you to like, you know, a pasta sauce, you'd ruin everything. Milk independently has so much to contribute and is so valuable. Um, and if milk would just realize how amazing it was on its own, right? Then when the opportunity to mix with chocolate would come, it like, there would be that discernment there, right? Are you right. high quality chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Do you deserve me? Is this Hershey's um, chocolate syrup? Right, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, are you, are you some knockoff brands? Like, let's be real. Um, so, you know, I know that this sometimes seems really, it's, it's kind of cliche to say, but I think that the more, I, I don't want to say the more, because I don't think that we need to paint it as like marriage is the only goal and there's no value in doing this, even if you're not pursuing marriage. But I think that people need to be independently whole as close to that as possible. People need to date their own selves. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's true. What does dating your own self look like? Um, I think it looks very similar to dating another person just alone. <laughs> so the same way, what is dating with another person looks like? It looks like spending quality time with that person. It looks like asking that person open and serious questions. It looks like being, you know, um, open to hearing whatever kind of answer they're going to give you because you could learn something about them. Right. It's having right. fun. <laughs> right? right. It's all of those things just it contained in this microcosm of only you without another person. Right. This has been fantastic. I can't believe the time is already <laughs> up. We'd like, we flew through that. Was if, it worth the wait, Ripke? <laughs> it was. Should we tell everyone our scheduling woes? Oh my goodness. We have been trying oh. to plan this three months, maybe more. At least. At least. Wait, before the bar mitzvah. When, yeah, when I feel we... like it was before, before Yentif. Right. So when we were scheduled, we were scheduled for the Friday that my husband was brought to the hospital with COVID. Right. We were scheduled for then. Mm -hmm. Um, That's September. And that was September. It's now January. Since then, we've rescheduled four or five times. I don't count. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I loved what you, by the way, this is, this is one of the things that I love about you. When, yeah. when, we, when we, I had to schedule for, I had to reschedule for, I don't know, the fourth time, the third time, whatever it was, it was ridiculous at that point. And we were just both laughing about it. And finally you said, you said something like, I'm telling you when this happens, it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be at exactly the right, perfect time, because that's <laughs> just the way this, there's obviously cosmic things happening. Right. Yeah, I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to know, but I think, you know, it was exactly the right timing. (laughs) Exactly the right timing, and it was an exactly fantastic conversation. If somebody wants to learn more about you, Chevy, where can they go? Um, I guess Instagram, if they want. If you're an Instagram person, you don't have to be. Um, My Instagram page is It's a Learning Life, or... I I guess you could always knock on my door, but they might not answer. (laughs) Yeah, don't, don't, don't. Let's not put your address here. Um, No, don't put my address here. But I will link uh, to your Instagram in the show notes so that if anyone who wants to um, reach out to you there, they can. Uh, And the last thing that I want to ask you, Chevy, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Chevy Samet. What does it mean to make an impact? 
No warning for that question? <laughs> I think making an impact means that things are a little bit better now than they were before you got there. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on today, Chevy. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Whiskey. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Chevy, her links are in the show notes. There you'll also find links to the most perfect pleated skirt, the coziest scarf, and the most comfortable mask. You'll also find the link to sign up for that email list where there will be exclusive discounts and behind the scenes of the podcast. I hope to see you there. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Etzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>